Hello, welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. My name is CJ. And my name is James, and we are the only new Who podcast with no job, no future, no A-levels, but a bronze in under-7s gymnastics. Did you ever do gymnastics at school, James? Um, I did. The one time that I did, though, I tried to do the, what is it, like the pole vaulting when you jump over the the pole and you land on the mattress? Uh, I'm aware of the... the High jump. High, high jump, jump is what it's called. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and when I did the high jump, I fell off the mattress and slipped a disc out of my wrist. So Really? I just yeah, that should tell now. you everything you need to know about my sporting abilities. <laughs> uh, well, good for you. Yes. Great. But look, you're not here to listen to us talk about how awkward we were in primary school. You are here to hear us talk about, ostensibly, Doctor Who. Yes. Um, so, New Who uh, is uh, probably a term that can be best as, like, it's associated with the newer stuff of Doctor Who. Um, Which is the term that I actually didn't know existed. Yeah. When we were first talking about doing this show, like, you sent me the message that said, you know, N-U, Who, and I was like, you made that up. That's that's not a thing. When I was happy to take uh, cre- cre- uh, claim that. The credit? Credit, thank you very much. I was happy to credit have the credit for that uh, term but no it's not i didn't make it up it's been in the, the discourse for ages i think since it came back in 2005 um it's cute it's a little like you know cute way of describing differentiating those two eras of the show so you have the classic who and then new who it is a way of differentiating them i'm not sure i'd call it cute but we've had this disagreement <laughs> before so you, you know me well enough to know that i use the word cute for anything I think I even said it on the phone to my mum the other day and said, oh, you know, I think she was talking about getting toilet paper because we're in the middle of a <laughs> coronavirus crisis. And I said, oh, that's, that's it. That does feel like the elephant in the room at this point, doesn't it? That, uh, yes. as, at the time of recording this, we are experiencing a global pandemic. We are isolated. Mm. And so naturally we do what two, uh, what, well, really what any two white boys would do in isolation. We mm. started a podcast. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that description feels so wrong, but yes. <laughs> um, I'm just calling it as I see it. Yeah, calling a spade a spade. That's pretty, that's, yeah, that's accurate. Um, mm. Two white queer boys, let's say. That's true. I feel like that is a, uh, we, we get slightly higher on the ranking for that, but yeah. still. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Gosh. Um, so uh, let's, let's just jump right into it, really. Um, I think... The, the reason we wanted to start this podcast was because James and I have been having long, long discussions uh, for months prior to this about Doctor Who, specifically about New Who. We haven't really discussed a lot of the classic stuff at all. No, no. I mean, it really came about because I fell into, um, like, I started watching season 12 quite religiously. I got really back into the whole fandom side of things. Um, and uh, CJ is... I'd, I'd say probably the biggest Doctor Who fan I know in my life. So we ended up talking on the phone for about an hour, an hour and a half after every time they'd premiere a new episode. And um, felt like a natural progression for us to start recording these conversations and see if anyone gave a shit. Exactly. Um, I think I remember specifically sitting outside of my house for hours the first time we discussed it because I just didn't want to go inside yet and I didn't want to like end the call. Yeah, exactly. It, it felt like uh, kind of like a unicorn appearing. Like I'm, I'm a huge dork. Like I, I love Star Wars. If you end up looking at my Twitter, you'll you'll see exactly how much I love Star Wars. Um, but Doctor Who is something that has kind of 
come and gone from my life uh, at various intervals, but I've never cared about it as much as I do sort of at this moment. So this feels like the right time to to jump on that. Like, like you do care about it, but you have dis- you've rediscovered your love for it, shall we say? I think because yes. you went back yeah. and did like a whole rewatch of um, uh, Clara. Right. I did. I did. So we finished season 12 um, and, you know, I, I had my own feelings on that. And so after that wrapped up, we we discussed sort of um, if I was to go back and watch some Doctor Who, what would I end up watching? And somebody on Twitter shared like a random gif of Clara in the diner at the very end of Hellbent. Mm. I was like, oh, I vaguely remember caring about Clara. So I went back and I rewatched everything of Clara except for uh, Asylum of the Daleks. Is that the one I missed? Yeah, you did. And Snowman. Yeah. You didn't watch the Snowman either. Well, I didn't because I, I remember Snowman quite vividly, but the rest of her run was kind of a blur for me. And we can, we'll get to that when we get to sort of our histories with the show. Mm. Um, but by the time I got to the end of the um, the Moffat run, really, because after Clara, I watched the Bill stuff as well. You know, I ended up crying. I was laughing. Mm. I was cheering along. Like I had a, a, a visceral reaction uh, to, to what the show was doing. And it reminded me how much I care about it. So... It's lovely. It's, it was, it's been a really lovely experience seeing you rediscover your love for Doctor Who because, like, I have loved it for as long as I've been, like, sentient. Um, and so to find somebody to share that with has been really quite, you know, lovely and charming. Mm. Um, so hearing you say that, it's really nice and affirms why we're doing this in the first place. Exactly right. Exactly. Um, so I think it's important to, whenever you listen to two new people that are going to critique or talk about uh, in depth something that you you care about a lot, uh, I think it's important to know where those people stand on the show itself, sort of mm. their history with it, or the movie or whatever we're talking about. Because that way you have a bit of a yardstick for where we're at with the show and how we feel about it. So that way when we say opinions that you agree with or disagree with, you at least have a, a frame of reference for it. Um, so CJ, yeah. why don't you run us through, uh, I guess just a brief history of your time with the show. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Doctor Who is about an alien in a time machine. <laughs> I didn't ask for a plot description of Doctor <laughs> Who. I, I want your, your history with it. I wanted to see if like anyone was listening to this and was like, hmm, I have no idea what Doctor yeah. Who is about. What is Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> there might be people, there might be people listening to this and thinking to themselves like, Oh, an alien, maybe? Sci-fi? Well, to, to those people, you are welcome, but you are definitively in the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to go back and read so much stuff before you can listen to this. That's it. We are, we are not your entry to Doctor Who. We no. are just two, two idiots <laughs> having a chat about the deep cuts of the lore. So. Exactly. Two idiots. Um, so... My uh, history with the show, I was thinking about this this morning because I was just trying to place where exactly I first remembered or heard of Doctor Who. And it's funny because I can't think of when it first like entered my brain. Um, I remember as a kid, I think it was about 2002 or three, it would have, would have been 2003, um, the, which was the 40th anniversary of the show starting. Mm. Um ABC, which for people who may be listening uh, in from another outside of Australia, o- overseas is overseas. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, for people who are listening outside of Australia, um, uh, it was um, the ABC is like the BBC version for Australia. Um, it's our uh, it's our public broadcaster, um, and they have the exclusive rights on Doctor Who. Um, they do. 
And yeah, like I think they've dropped so many different shows, but Doctor Who's the one thing they've retained. Um, which really like that's our that's government money going right back where it should. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> um, but in two thousand and three, they started replaying all of the classic episodes from the very beginning. And I remember because it, it was like six o'clock on a, or maybe at five o'clock on a on every weekdays. They would play two classic episodes every day from like November the twenty sixth. Uh, and so it's like perfect after school viewing, essentially. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, but I re- didn't watch it. I didn't really watch it at, at all for the entire run that it's on. And thinking about it now, thinking about what a treasure trove that would have been if I'd actually cared about the show at that time. Um, <laughs> like, would have been, oh, I would have my tiny little brain would have exploded. But I remember as a kid, I think I would have been like, because uh, uh, it started two thousand five. Was I was eleven, so it would have been number nine. Um, seeing. Uh, the web planet one of like a few minutes of the web planet on uh, abc and it was a zabi uh which is if you don't know uh, like a, an ant alien and you can clearly tell like it's just like a big old piece of five glass on like and two human legs sticking out the bottom like it's <laughs> it was cutting edge at the time i'm sure but it has not dated very well um and it was william hartnell and oh, this is my right yeah like way way way, way so hartnell was your first doctor well, I mean, he was the first one that I ever saw an, a televised episode of. But I remember right. at the time, and this is the thing that stuck stuck with me, I remember at the time seeing him and thinking to myself, that's not Doctor Who. Because I knew I knew then that Doctor Who was a guy with a scarf and, like, big curly hair. And yeah. it's boggling to think that, like, I had never watched a single episode, had no clue what Doctor Who was about, but I still knew that Tom Baker, I, like, iconography-wise, was the Doctor. Well, that's it. Yeah, like iconography is the exact right word for it. He is like, as well as the blue box and the sonic screwdriver, like Tom Baker is Doctor Who. He is the Doctor. Mm. But um, I don't know when I would have learned that information. Like, I don't know. Um, I mean, just culture zeitgeist, I guess. Um, I, I but, suppose I was nine. I feel like I wasn't like too clued into the, uh, the, yeah. the discourse. <laughs> I wasn't like on forums at nine years old. I don't think I even had the internet <laughs> no. until I was like thirteen. No, that yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. That's very um, Australian. Yes, exactly. Country kids. Um, mm. But so that was my first sort of ex- exposure to Doctor Who. And then I think I caught an episode of Leisure Hive like months later, which is a later Tom Baker episode. And I was like, man, that's right. I know you. <laughs> this feels more natural. This feels like the show I remember. Um, but then when the show came back in 2005, I missed the first episode. I didn't watch it. Um, and the oh. first instance of, yeah, I didn't see it when it first went out. The first um, instance of New Who that I ever saw was like the last five minutes of um, The End of the World. Um, I think I can remember walking in. Yeah, I know. I can remember walking into the living room and my mum was watching it because um, I think she'd picked it up and um, we watched it that first season together, which was quite nice. Um, mm. And she was watching the end, of, the end of the World. And it was that bit where Rose walks into the, um, the main hall and all the aliens are like, crying and i just sat there for like transfixed for like five minutes like mm. what is this like it was so well, it's interesting because like even now at what 28 years old like we like we've obviously just watched rose and the end of the world we'll be talking about the end of the world in our next episode mm. um but it, like even as an adult i was completely transfixed by that ending it is it, i mean it's mesmerizing stuff like the show yeah there's just something special about what they were doing with that absolutely but with no context whatsoever, I was like glued to the TV, which I think speaks to like 
how what, what a good like combination of elements they really brought together with this revival like yes the, on like the writing and the acting and the direction and the music and everything just definitely pulled yeah. me in and then the, so the first episode that i properly watched all the way through from beginning to end was the unquiet dead um oh okay. which we'll get to later <laughs> yeah <laughs> indeed, indeed um so what about you james what's your well um story? i started i feel like a, definitely earlier than you did with the show um because when i was I don't know, maybe like six or whatever at my grandparents' Ooh. house. Uh, my older cousin, who was a huge sci-fi dork, he had VHSs of some of the classic Baker era stuff. Um, and so because of that, Tom Baker was my first Doctor. Pyramids of Mars was my first ever Doctor Who story. Classic. Um, yeah, a classic. And I feel like it also, it, it clearly went on to sort of inform what I enjoy in sci-fi in the future, like your, your gothic horror elements, your, your religious iconography, a little bit of real world stuff, you know, put in there as well. Um, and that, that really kind of changed how I viewed uh, television. That's that along with stuff like Stargate, um, obviously mm. Star Wars, uh, huge sci-fi nerd. It, it all, it's all a nice pastiche of, of concepts <laughs> and ideas. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. So, so Doctor Who sort of informed your love of wider sci-fi, like, Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like some of the, well, the first time you get exposed to these sort of new ideas, like, honestly, it's just lucky that like Doctor Who got to me before Star Trek did, for example, you know, it's, I guess it's whatever. You've been a completely different person. Exactly. (laughs) James the Trekkie is a, that's the darkest timeline. Um, But no, like it's, uh, it it, it definitely, for, for a young mind, it, it was it was quite a quite a wild thing to witness, and it's something that we've talked about before. But it's ingrained in me now. You know, the the landing sound of the TARDIS is something that I immediately associate with adventure. Totally, it's, um, it just it triggers like a, it's like a Pavlovian response in the back of my brain. <laughs> Uh, and so for most of my childhood, I would sort of, you know, I had a giant scarf. I had the, a big broad rimmed hat. You know, I would sort of wander around my grandparents' yard been like, ah, oh, look, Sarah, uh, a mummy, or, you know, or whatever no you need idea. to do. That is so cute. That is so cute to think about. Yeah, I was a huge Doctor Who nerd as a kid. Um, and then I, you know, completely fell off of it as I got older because, you know, cynicism kicks in and suddenly, you know, you think everything that you liked when you were a kid is, is kind of terrible and childish and, and Doctor Who especially because it lends itself so well to sincere sci-fi storytelling. Um, it does give off an air of easily mocked by cynics, I think. Yes. Well, I can Um, remember as a kid, like, uh, for those first few seasons, like I was deeply embedded in Doctor Who. Um, and so obviously, because when you're a kid and you're obsessed with something, you every gift and thing every christmas and birthday or whatever you always get something related to that thing mm. so it, it for years it was always doctor who doctor yeah. who whatever if it, and i remember my grandma used to go to the uk like every year and so she'd bring back just oodles of like i can't even say that it was like good stuff it was just crap it was just yeah. doctor who crap um but i love oh, would you like a dalek coaster yeah totally. yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly although i remember one year i got a like a um a Dalek Easter egg. Um, and it was like, it was just like, like a box shaped like a Dalek, but it had a little, it had a little voice thing inside that like a, like a, one of those things where it's like press the button and it would make a noise. Um, and it would say exterminate. And for years it was kept in our pantry. And so you'd just be like, it'd be a quiet house. And then my mum would be cooking and she'd just go into the pantry and press it. And then you'd hear exterminate through the whole house. And it was like, 
like it's just pointless stuff in like isolation but then created just a lovely like atmosphere but i remember yeah. as a kid like having like all that stuff into like a pencil case and taking it to school and being like mm. unfairly treated well <laughs> <laughs> yeah as someone with a like little star wars watch that made droid noises i i, I feel you i feel you <laughs> oh gosh yeah so you know we um, have a good time no, no, not not necessarily. But um, I think it's a common experience across both of our childhoods that Doctor Who was a sort of a pillar of our understanding of media and of yeah. our understanding of sci-fi, um, which is, you know, it's good. It's nice. And, and I can't believe I'm only just putting this together, but, like, I'm just remembering this, that what I just said about the pencil case and the, like, being bullied for liking Doctor Who, and I was like, wait, that would have been about the same time I was like, oh, maybe you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> And those two yeah. things colliding in my head. Oh God! Oh no! Repress yeah. memories. It's it's strange because like looking back, Doctor Who didn't play any sort of a role in my um, sort of understanding of myself as a young queer person because mm-hmm. the show is like, especially that classic stuff. It, it was it was particularly sexless. Let's say. <laughs> oh um, yeah, there wasn't much in there that would really trigger an awakening. <laughs> Not intentionally, no. Mm-hmm. There no, is one no. episode of Black Orchid, uh, which has Peter Davidson as the doctor, where he's in a robe, a silk robe. Uh, oh. Yeah. Well, silk. So no more, yeah, that, like, <laughs> triggered something in me. That's it. Uh, uh, but, but anyway. But we're here to discuss the new Doctor Who. I think we've, we've made a, a rule between ourselves that we won't um, discuss classic Who because there's just so much of it. Um, and it, it, yeah, like I'm, I'm happy to bring it up if it pertains to something in particular in um, yeah. the new episodes we're talking about, but otherwise it's just, it's a black hole of content. Um, it is. And I'm not familiar enough with it to really speak with confidence. And the benefit really, like, it would be different if we had grown up with that era of the show, because then we would have been yes. discussing it with our own personal context and um, uh, what was happening in the wider world. And I think that's one of the benefits as well of us doing um, this podcast about the new Doctor Who is because we were alive when it was broadcast. We were we were aware of the world as it was then and could bring mm. all of the context about that time to these episodes. Um, and yeah. In the same way that like the Star Wars prequels were like our Star Wars because it was our time, like exactly. New Who was around during a, a pretty uh, form- formative time, let's say. Yeah. Well, is around. I guess it's still continuing to display. Well, uh, yeah, it certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before we dive into Rose, just to to go back to that uh, yardstick of where we're at with the show so that listeners know sort of who we are, mm. uh, let's just quickly do favourite Doctor, favourite companion, and, I don't know, like one of the new Who episodes that sort of comes to mind uh, for you when you think about your favourite or the one you enjoyed the most. Totally. Um my favorite doctor changes all the time. <laughs> so not helpful. Um, I think it's, 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 it's ultimately it's, it's Tom Baker. I can't deny the pull okay. of that grin and the eyes. And oh, the I was thinking just in terms of new who doctors. Oh, new uh, who. Because I feel like oh, good. Classic, okay. Tom Baker is, <laughs> you can't go past him. He is. No. He's, he's kind of sucked all the air out of every, out of everyone else. <laughs> yeah. right. Although is it John Pertwee? Is that how you say his name? You said that so twee. I love it. Yes, John Pertwee. <laughs> uh, Pertwee. Yeah, he he also, he's right up there as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, wow. Okay, cool. I yeah. like him too. 
but of new who of new who i know what your answer is going to be but for me it's chris freckleston um oh okay okay yeah i've he's and maybe it's because his time was just so brief but like he had just this perfect little arc this perfect little story and his doctor seems to encompass all of the traditional quirks of that character um but in a very grounded and realistic kind of package i don't know yes. we can that's discuss right. we'll be discussing him in greater detail over the next we certainly episodes will. Yeah. but um yeah that's my that's my pick uh best companion rose no question okay. um yeah. for somewhat the same reasons actually um yeah yeah, yeah. um and favorite episode um is turn left Oh yeah, I'm a an intellectual listeners. <laughs> an intellectual, if ever there was one. Um, yeah, gosh, I love that episode. I, I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> I don't doubt it. We'll, we'll get to that one. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Um, well, look, this is definitely probably recency bias uh, kicking in here, but Peter Capaldi to me perfectly encapsulates the role. He is everything from childlike and playful to, you know, sort of forlorn, war-torn hero. Uh, he, he kind of, he just perfectly nailed uh, every facet of the Doctor that I enjoy. I think his performance across the board is the most consistent as well, regardless of characterization. Yeah. Uh, what he does with the role, the humanity that he brings to it is, for me, unmatched. Um, so I, 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 just, I can't go past Peter Capaldi. Totally. And we, you, dear listener, won't have any idea of our previous discussions, obviously, but we've had long chats about like how he's basically a basic doctor. And I don't mean that in a, ma- in a mean way. I mean, like he is a, like a back to basics, like character yes. version of that character. Yeah. He was a strange soft reboot. I, I found um, yeah. after what they did with Matt Smith, because Matt Smith's era was very definitively Matt Smith's era. Yeah. <laughs> and it, felt the most new of the new who like the most um for better or worse it, it was it was definitely a new take on on who um and so going back to capaldi where you've got sort of the comfort of an older figure in mm. the role um it does change up the dynamic and i obviously quite like what they did with it in terms of companions uh and i like this is this is the opinion i get shot for um i think clara <laughs> is uh the best companion the show has probably ever had um yeah. I and a lot of this comes down to obviously because of my love of Capaldi, my love of uh, Jenna Coleman. They they kind of go hand in hand because the two performances are essentially one unit. Um, he was still quite good when he ha- when he was working with um, Mackie. Is it um, Pearl Mackie? Pearl Mackie, yeah, Pearl Mackie, who is absolutely wonderful. Like Bill, Bill is incredible mm. on her own. We can, we'll talk about that at some point. Um, but the the combination of Clara and the Doctor to me is everything I've ever wanted from the show. It took the drama seriously. It took the sci-fi seriously and it ramped up everything. Um, and I just thought it was perfect. And just to be super annoying. I think as of now, my favorite episode is Hellbent. (laughs) Um, and that is sacrilege. I I understand. Um, Yeah. You're not. We can move right along from that one, but, uh, To just just to put it into perspective, I think Hellbent is Doctor Who's Last Jedi. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's I think it's intellectual. I think it's it's super heady. It's 
it's just big ideas. It takes massive swings and they don't always connect, but the fact that it's swinging as hard as, as it is, mm. it excites me the most. So I think without intending to, we've put ourselves into two very distinct and different camps of who, because <laughs> I didn't realise. I, I knew that Capaldi and Jen and um, Clara were your favourite companions, but it just clicked for me then that like I picked RTD companion Dr. Pairing and you picked a Moffat one and Moffat yeah. episodes, RTD episodes. Gosh, we've, uh, that's, that's ourselves right there. That's who we are. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yes and no, like we, we've discussed this before, but I have, um, genuine issues with, um, oh, excuse me, with the Moffat era when, uh, Matt Smith was in the role. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there were some, some, some choices made during that time. And to me, what I enjoy so much about Clara is that she almost feels like a direct response and almost an apology from Moffat about how he's handled companions in the past. And that's a much bigger issue that we can get into later. Yeah, um, that feels like a, like an, an episode in and of itself. It is. It, it definitely is. Um, so I, I won't push the topic. But um, yeah, I I don't like being categorised as, as as a Moffat fan necessarily. Because I'm so I think sorry. That he, oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> I, I think that his inklings are just as often destructive as they are um, like good for the show. So, yes. It's complicated. Yeah, that's actually a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. But but we're tried. not here to discuss Moffat. No. Right now. No, no, absolutely not. We're here to discuss we the to... very first episode of New Who. Um, we are going to throw you right back to 2005. What was happening in 2005? What was what was going we're, on at the time? This is, I, I've, I've done some research. I've listeners. <laughs> I've done some research into 2005. Um, it was quite a year. I didn't know it was the year that YouTube first started. Um, was it? That feels crazy to me. Oh my god! Yeah, they were bought the next year by Google. Like that's uh, <laughs> wow. Quick that time was for them. <laughs> well, I thought Google they only acquired YouTube like a couple of years ago. God. 2006, apparently. Yeah. Eek. Um, it was the second time that the Skywalker saga finished with Revenge of the Sith hitting theaters. Ugh. Yes, well. <laughs> I enjoyed um, Music-wise, we're talking Kelly Clarkson, Destiny's Child, Jessica Simpson was taking a stab at being a musician. Um, it was it was a time for music. She's uh, Jessica Simpson. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not here to defend her, actually. I'm going to retract that. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, uh, oh, wait, okay, I've got one more dumb tidbit before we can move on to things <laughs> that are actually useful for the conversation. Uh, Brad Pitt left Jennifer Aniston in 2005, so. Oh. There you go. A little bit of, little bit of tragedy for you there. Um, and the other, obviously, major thing that happened in 2005 was on March the 26th, the first episode of the revived series of Doctor Who aired on BBC One. Yes. It was titled... Sorry? Oh. No, I'm sorry. I was just... I had one more tiny point, oh, I'm sorry. which I feel like went from context to 2005. It was almost like a golden year for television. There are so many TV series that started in 2005 that are still running today. Like, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, American Dad, Criminal Minds. Like, there were a lot of uh, TV shows spawned out of this time that are still here you know 15 years later totally and i think that's um impressive i'd say super impressive um especially um american dad god yeah isn't that strange (laughs) 
That's a, a choice, for sure. It is. It is a choice. Tell you who's not American, though. The Doctor. No, he's not. Um, and on what you're saying as well, uh, this revival is such a significant like moment in history for... I'm going to take a big swing here. For television in general. Um, I know that The Sopranos is largely credited with the revival of like... Um, prestige television. Prestige television, yes. And I'm, I don't... I wouldn't personally put Doctor Who in that category as such. Um, no. But what it, what I think it is in, in some way indirectly responsible for is the successful relaunching of a previously dead brand. And you think yes. about today, like you've got so many reboots happening with, for some reason, the only one that can come to my mind right now is Ghostbusters. I don't know why. That's the only one I can think of. <laughs> well, yeah, there's also Terminator. Um, exactly. Other things. Other things. <laughs> Star Wars. Other pop- other, Star Wars. Like, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, Force Awakens was in a way like a, a soft reboot. I mean, no, yeah. like not in a way. It was a soft reboot. It um, was. But, yes. no, I mean, like, Doctor Who, I, I, I can't overstate enough, like, how much of a dead brand it was at this point in yeah. history. And, yeah. like, it was endlessly parodied, like, just thought of in the worst of terms. It wasn't... Uh, no one liked it, I don't think. Um, like, on a, on a, a popular kind of level. Um, well, nobody, take, uh, nobody took it seriously anymore. Nobody took it seriously. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, for it to come back as roaringly and successfully as it did in 2005 to my mind has kickstarted a lot of other successful revivals um it was the first i'm gonna lay that claim to doctor who <laughs> look that's fair that's fair I, i'm not sure i mean I, I agree i wouldn't call new who prestige television but um i would say that there was a period of time when its popularity spiked in such a way that it became appointment television like it was the show that people based their night around like this was the thing yeah. that people um and that's you know uh, definitely an accomplishment that they managed to pull off with that first season that it took such a uh, dead parodied um, uh, franchise and turned it into something that one, everyone was taking seriously. Everybody mm. respected it. Everybody was watching it. Like people were talking about Dr. Who. Totally. And then you get to the end of the David Tennant era and like, it is the number one watched show. Yes. For its yeah. time slot. Like that's like, it's, it's bonkers. ridiculous. It's bonkers. Um, yeah. But then also like we, we, fantasy television and sci-fi television as well like it was still like you have like very successful shows like the x-files and buffy and um things happening stateside uh like before doctor who was revived but they were late night niche kind of shows which had a very significant cult following but wasn't x-files maybe more so but you know like um still for a very specific audience whereas this is fantasy television for the family i'm gonna say fantasy mm. by the way it's like sci-fi fantasy basically um yeah not for yeah. a minute pretend that it's trucking in any real science um and um it i can't yeah i can't ever say enough how like it brought back that family viewing te- family fantasy viewing um and heralded in like a whole era of, of revived um sci-fi and fantasy yeah. Yeah, television yeah, absolutely 
it's interesting you noted earlier about like you and your mum watched this together like and I had the exact same experience and my mum is I mean she's lovely but she's not super into sci-fi hmm. um this was something that like we would always watch together every week you know she'd cry along with me she'd laugh along with me it was like I, I guess basically what we've been trying to say over the past few minutes is that like Doctor Who the revival was it was a moment in pop culture it was yeah I, I think we forget that sometimes but like we do, especially with how it is now, where it's sort of gone back to being not a niche uh, show, but it's certainly, it's found its core audience and not much mm. else now. It's um, not exactly, yeah, trying to reach out to... No, no. Well, season 11 a little bit. Like, I, I respect what they were trying to do with that in terms of telling new stories to pull people in. Um, but the Jodie Whittaker era is its own thing that we will get to in due time. Yes. Um, for now... Let's talk about Rose. Let's talk about Rose. So I've got the IMDb tab open. And oh, I love a good IMDb tab. Good, good, good. Um, <laughs> and the synopsis they've given is delightfully vague. It says, uh, when ordinary shop worker Rose Tyler meets a mysterious stranger called the Doctor, she is drawn into his strange and dangerous world. Her life will never be the same again. I mean... And that's about it. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Yeah, like, well, that's that's Rose, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a very it's a very short, sweet synopsis, but I mean, that is the episode in another nutshell. It is an introduction. It is. It, it very much is. Um, this is something that uh, we we noted in our little pre-recording discussion, but the, it Rose as a first episode as a pilot for a sci-fi is not very sci-fi. No. <laughs> um, it's, it's very grounded. It's very uh, Earth at the time. It feels like just a, almost like a little action serial drama uh, as opposed to a sci-fi drama. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't do, it doesn't work within the lore of Doctor Who. It, it is emphatically saying that's all to come, but right now we're just focusing on the, the elements that make this such a successful like format, which is... Mm. The Doctor, his friend, time travel. That's it. Exactly. And not even time travel. No. Like, yeah. <laughs> they jump once in, in space and that's it. That's it. Yeah. It's a it, very understated intro, let's say. Yes. And at the same time, and I think we both noted this like when we rewatched it, because it's been years since I watched this episode, mm. incredibly zippy. Yes. Yes, very much so. That's uh, intro, what, like five minutes? Like, yeah, I think I noted it. Like, it's five minutes before the uh, the plastic men show up. I forget their name. Well, they don't actually get given a name in this episode, there, but they're traditionally known as Autons. Um, Autons? Autons. Like, Autons. Okay. Autons, like a, a nickname for autonomous, I suppose. Oh, yeah, that's cute, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, we get like like, sort of um you know you start i mean so basically listeners like obviously this is our first time discussing an episode so we're gonna have to find our feet in terms of how we run down the events of the episode yeah Uh, but the way that we've been doing this and this was before we've even decided to do a podcast we started just taking notes in order of what happened in the episode and so we're probably going to loosely follow along with those yeah and see how we go See, um, this is just how much of a nerd we are, listeners. We were taking notes before we were even going to do this. Exactly right. We took notes we for our really own pleasure. The first time I broke out a pen and paper and was like, Cyberman? Question mark. 
<laughs> what does TARDIS stand for? <laughs> so we start in in space. Uh, we get that mm. lovely shot of the moon and the earth. And so it, it starts, you get like a few seconds of like this ethereal, high above the earth, high above the world kind of shot. It's a really good shot, isn't it? And it, it, it in, is. film, in film discourse, I mean, it's like establishing space. It's establishing time it's everything it's perfect like and that shot that shot is like impressive like you again not to go back to classic who too much but like this is a show that wasn't known for its effects shall we say so to see this shot first up is uh is so would have been so surprising and exciting but uh, before we do the episode we should talk about what comes before that shot because we get the credits first so basically, I think starting off with the the theme song just on its own is a great way to pull in the viewer immediately into, you know, you've got the updated theme song, it's sound, it's bassy, it's new, it's mm. sexy. And I love that shot with the, like, you've got, like, it doesn't even, like, do any kind of effect, like, to ease you in. It's just like, bang. It's just like, BBC logo, and then bang, here's a time tunnel, here's a time tunnel on a TARDIS. And it's like, oh, it would have blown people's minds. It would have blown people's minds. Maybe, exactly. I'm, it's, I, maybe I'm underestimating audiences in 2005, but I feel like it would have blown their minds. No, I mean, I feel like like we, we discussed this was a moment, and so sort of seeing it fully realised in, well, ostensibly HD now, I guess. But Yeah, know, it wouldn't have been HD that. at the time. No, but like, you know, it was, it was 2005. It was the era of like sexy new computer graphics and, yeah. you know, everyone was sort of trying these new things out. And so for Doctor Who to look as uh, flashy and new as it does in that title sequence, I mean, that's, that's not nothing. Totally. And it has that mm. beautiful shot of the TARDIS like stopping in midair and the camera spins around it. I say shot, like computer shot. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this didn't really happen, guys. Um <laughs> It just, yeah, it's so beautiful. And then you have the, the the names pop up in the logo. What do you think of that logo, just out of interest? It's not my favourite logo. Um, I I think at the time it makes perfect sense. It's it's sort of something that runs across a lot of the uh, Davies. Davies? Davis. Davies. Davies era. Uh, there's like a like faux grunge aesthetic to a lot of it. Mm. Um, and I feel like it's very 2005, but I am not a fan of it anymore, let's say. Interesting. I'm very much a fan of it, even now. Yes, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> no more discussion on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a logo. It is what it is. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, so then we go from that into the actual episode itself. I do say I love the zoom, the crash zoom down into Earth to the alarm clock do you remember yes. alarm clocks I do. do you remember not having a phone for everything technology is uh, a bit different a bit different it's so nice um, to I, re- like revive and feel that again like when is, you had a different is. device for everything yeah exactly right and we are introduced to billy piper mm. as rose and the first thing she gets to do is get out of bed. I mean, doesn't that isn't that every human? Gosh, she's I mean, so grounded. It, human. So grounded. So relatable. <laughs> no, um, yeah. This is something that I only discovered, I, I shit you not, three hours ago this morning, right? Before we were recording this, you know, mm. I was going out to get a coffee. I had my shower, you know, my daily routine, right? Um, amidst all of that, I found out Billy Piper had a music career. And I've been listening to Billy Piper's music all morning. Oh, I... 
just assumed you knew that. Oh, yeah, no. I had no idea. Because I, I assumed because you hadn't had much acting work before this that she was just sort of an unknown, but apparently not. I think she, she had been in like a... Um, I have to look this up now. She'd been in like a, a horror film, I think, before. But like, oh, this okay. is this speaks to just like how much of a risk everyone thought her casting was because she was a pop star. She was like a, a British Britney Spears. Um, well, that's it. Like she was like capital P pop star. Um, but like yeah. I, I watched some music videos as well and, the, you know, obviously very of the time, but um, it's, it's pop music. Like you wouldn't look at her and think, oh, that's where we're going to source the working class relatable new Doctor Who uh, psychic, you know? No. But then oh, I'm, I'm looking at it now, actually, and she was in a fair few things before she was... Oh, she was even... God, she was in Evita. From... Oh. Yeah, she was like a background extra. It's in her um, credits. It, she was like her first film role was in Evita. Don't cry for me, Argentina. That's a song from Evita. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I've seen the show and I, I still don't know anything about it, so... Oh, there's a woman. Her name's Evita. Argentina. We're not. We're not going to talk about. No, we're not going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) No, Um, but she was a. She was an actor before she was in Doctor Who. Um, but I guess not known for that. She was known for her pop career. Um, yeah, and and again, that speaks to um, I think the the intelligence and the forethought that went into the um the casting and production and overall composition of New Who to cast a pop star and Christopher Eccleston, who is a, a respected actor mm. um, in those roles. It definitely brings a, like a popular gravitas to, to things, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Like that it's star, it's star casting in a way. Um, mm, it is. To bring those two elements together. In a way that the show hasn't really done since then, except for uh, Donna, uh, because she had such an established oh, uh, career. Well, Capaldi. Oh, I guess so. I never see. I mean, listen, we're Australian, so we never got the Capaldi sort of all, all the Capaldi rage that the uh, the British got. Um, yeah, please forgive us, I, please. Yeah, my bad. You know, <laughs> our introduction to Rose is essentially like a like a supercut of working class life. Yeah. You know, like you've got the dingy sort of small apartment with her mum in the pajamas. Uh, you've got her little working life. You've got her cute little lunch date, lunch date with her her boyfriend, yeah. and it's all just kind of cut together. It's all very very quick. Um, like you're thrown straight into Rose, and I yeah, it's such a a good economic storytelling technique. Like everything you need to know about Rose is right there in those very first few minutes, and it's so so dissimilar to how companions have been introduced in the past. I mean, companions are almost an afterthought for a long time. Well, they're never really treated as, like, the main character. They're not treated as the main character. They never have a life outside of tra- travelling in the TARDIS. They, their family and friends are, like, you know, non-existent. So this is this was so um, good. <laughs> I can't describe Absolutely. it any other way. It's just good. Yeah, for sure. And with the building of her life outside of the TARDIS, it also speaks to... Um, what, what Davies did in terms of mm. giving a, a female, com- oh, a female, we, we hate that word, mm. but um, one of a, a companion um, autonomy and, and sort of a sense of self that we've never seen before. Exactly. Um, it was a statement of a intent. Really nice Sorry. It was, I was just saying, it's a statement of intent for like what the show is and, and who the main character is in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
I keep forgetting that for like for so much of the audience, like for two years, Doctor Who the main character was Rose, and yeah. Like the first episode, well, she, she moved out intro back into this world. It, it's not just that she is relatable on a on a sort of working class common person level, um, but that is crucial to re-entering us into mm. like what is really like quite a hard sci-fi franchise. Yeah, um, and so if you're going to reboot that, if you're going to give that to the masses again and make them be interested in it, it's like Game of Thrones. Like Game of Thrones had its its sex and its violence. Doctor Who has its has Rose as its gateway into a genre that um, audiences may not typically gravitate towards. Absolutely, absolutely, it was so grounded. This intro- introduction, um, it was, it was, and then we get her her wonderful sort of introductory first line, Wilson. <laughs> I got the lottery. Money. I got the lottery. <laughs> Just, God, I mean, like, it's a it's a good delivery. It's a really good, like, she's, like, completely in that character. But, yeah. She is. She the is. London she, accent. She, like, just, uh, just works around those words perfectly. She does. <laughs> she does. Um, just before that, though, the little date that she goes on with Mickey at the fountain, um, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on with his dancing there. I'm not a fan. No, well, I mean, Mickey's whole movements in this episode are, are a podcast episode into the, of themselves, I'd say, but... We'll I don't think there. anyone has the patience for a Mickey episode. No, Mickey talk. Mickey talk. <laughs> we'll have zero listeners. Exactly. So yeah, and then like like we said before, like it's it's five minutes of this introduction. Um, yeah. it, it establishes so much, and then we jump straight from this very grounded, very realistic depiction of Rose's life into spooky mannequins. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, the build-up of tension in this particular sequence. Um, it's very traditional, isn't it? It's very traditional. And I was thinking about it the other day because um, I was sort of trying to imagine this episode, because I know one of the criticisms of like Who when it came back was that it had uh, thrown away the like four-part, half-hour episode format and was going for a punchier right. 45 minutes. One. A more American style, let's say. A more American style, Exactly. Um, and so I was trying to think, like, how does the Doctor Who format sort of fit itself into this episode in particular? And I guess if this were a traditional Who, that whole, like, first sequence up to the moment when the mummy, the mummies, the dummies come alive would have mm. been, like, episode one. It would have been, yeah, five minutes extended out into 25. Exactly. And I mean, like, that's yeah. not good. <laughs> if you can oh, do I... the same level of storytelling in <laughs> such a shorter and punchier way. Well, really, it depends on the sort of the the showrunner, the writer, sort of what yeah. what level of characterization they can fit into what amount of time, uh, because it's something that we've sort of noted as the show goes on that as it tries to tackle more and do a bit more, it really could benefit from that extra time. Um, but this beginning, because it is so sparse in terms of its uh, lore stuff, you can just you can just get it done. You can just go go go. Exactly. You can, mm. yeah, like it's not uh, weighed down by any of that. Exactly. And then we get, I mean, I'd say essentially one of the best intros to the Doctor we've ever seen. Oh, isn't it though? Oh my God. It's so, it's, again, it's the same thing with the Rose, like that montage. It's a statement of intent. It's not a flowery speech. It's not a standing down. It's just hand grab, run, and off they go. Yeah. Like it's, super simple, super effective. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's iconic. <laughs> I'm going to say it. I mean, it is. It is iconic. It absolutely is. Um, yeah, it's it's really wonderful. Uh, yeah, short little action sequence, which is which is cute with the arm in the elevator door, which is you know, mm. it's a thing. It's cute. The the mannequins themselves are uh, they're creepy. I would have appreciated like you know those really dated, disgusting mannequins that have like painted on faces and they're very eighties, and they've got those fixed grins yeah. and they're just oh to look at. Like I would have appreciated that would have been creepy to have one of those like come to life and lurch towards me. Like you know that um. Oh, maybe the Twilight Zone. There's an episode of, <laughs> you know, this like <laughs> show called the Twilight Zone. You may have heard of it. Twilight. Um, there's an episode, and I think they did it in the revival as well. There's an episode uh, where a woman gets stuck in a, a department store after it closes, um, and all the mannequins come to life, and that's fucked. <laughs> that's just so <laughs> creepy. But at the time it was made, like it would have been like sixties. And I think the revival was the eighties or something. And like, or nineties, mm. I can't remember. But like mannequins were like a disgusting thing to look at. Like I'm, I'm laying it on thick. Like <laughs> they're fine. But <laughs> I just, I was going to say for, for the sake of balance, I thought the mannequins in Rose were effectively creepy oh, and no, fine as they are. No, I'm no, not no, mannequin no. shaming. No. <laughs> no, I don't mean the mannequins here. I'm talking about like mannequins in general in the outside real world, like are creepy. Um, yes, these mannequins are. are like they've got the smooth features and they're very like they're modern. Um, Not to like put too much of like a, a queer spin on this immediately, I suppose, but is it wrong to say that the mannequin was not not attractive? Okay, the one with the open shirt though. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the open shirt. Listen, when, when I said that this was around in our formative years, like yeah, everything, yeah, everything yeah. was like potential fodder. It was like... Exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> Smooth chest, defined jawline. I mean, I don't know what more I need. What exactly? When, when they get into the elevator together and they break mm. off the arm, um, I like that Rose uh, Rose's dialogue is already used in such a succinct way. Um, to establish that, like, she has, like, deductive reasoning skills, like, straight okay. away. You know, the whole, mm-hmm. oh, this must be, like, a, a student project, because um, otherwise how how else could you get that many people to agree to something like this? Um, and it's a really good way of just showing that she's paying attention at all times, despite her sort of, uh, like, working-class, lower-status-in-life kind of appearance. Mm. Um, and I think the way that the Doctor is sort of immediately impressed by that is... It's just the beginning of like a really nice bit of groundwork throughout the episode for why they form the friendship that they do. True. Um, she, I like the setup of this episode for that reason as well. And also because like, it is just so um, ordinary because mm. they're, they're mannequins. They're not like, it's not a tentacle thing. It's not a like crazy monster coming towards her. It's like, it's a very, it's a, it's a very human made, it's a human made object that's come to life and coming towards us. So you're, she can make that like assumption that it's students or that it's human or something. She can put it into her ground, into grounded human terms. And so for a lot of the episodes, like she is using that, like her own references basically to, um, mm. to uh, think her way through each thing that comes at her up until a very yes. significant point, but we'll get to that. Um, w- we've kind of skipped over the, 
Chris Eccleston a little bit. We've left him behind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know Billy Piper got her in a little introductory sequence, and I guess that's something that we should probably afford to Eccleston as well. Um, the thing is, I just don't know a huge amount about Christopher Eccleston, other mm. than that he's obviously quite talented. <laughs> he's a good actor, isn't he? Um, he was in, I think he was in um, another Davies project before this. He was in The Second Coming. Um, which, which is about Jesus. It, it, you bang on. It's all about Jesus. It's a modern, like, telling of the second coming of Jesus. Um, it's great, by the way. Um, and I think that Russell T. Davies is just a television genius, but that's neither here nor there. Well, it's here because we're talking about Doctor Who. Um, but, um, yeah, so Chris Robertson, I, I can't say that I know a huge heap about him before this, but he... Um, is instantly magnetic in this scene. And that scene where they're in the the elevator and they're discussing things, like it is such a perfect little microcosm of the Doctor-Companion relationship. And also I think something that we'll be referring to again as we go on is like establishing just how alien the Doctor is because they're discussing discussing, um, what the aliens could be. And she says, you know, it's a student thing. And he's like, that's good thinking. And she's like, well, and then he says, uh, Wilson's dead and it's yes. so offhanded and like uh, and then she yes, has the she, relationship to death is fascinating in this oh it's so good um, and she has that line where she's like that's not funny that's sick and it's like that is sick like it, it is it's such a small moment but it's true like it, it volumes to the doctor's relationship with death and the companion's consistent horror with that it, it does like there's never as quite a divide between uh the humanity of the companion and the doctor as there is in this first season i would say um obviously by design because the character develops and he grows uh they grow rather mm. um but still it, it is definitely interesting to see and with the context of the the time war stuff that we know is coming down the line um where he is on his personal timeline uh after what he's just done it is good. It's very good. Very good. So Wilson's dead. Wilson's dead. <laughs> and then um, we get to um, maybe quite a quite a contentious plot point. Uh, CJ and I both noted this in our notes. Uh, the Doctor just blows off a major metropolitan <laughs> building in the middle of London, <laughs> and it's just cool. It's fine. It's. I think it's it's a it's a, um, a casualty of the very like economic storytelling of this episode is that there is going to be yes. some elements that aren't explored in their full yes. detail, but like. The optics of this are not great. There's a couple of episodes that are going to come up uh, which tackle this in a much better way. Um, but for it, for this episode in particular, like you do have a, a, a building in central London that explodes. It looks like a bombing. And it does. There's no, there's no follow-up on that. It's, yeah, everyone's just quite chill about it. <laughs> yeah, like they run away. But then, you know, the next day Jackie's like, oh, well, I'm doing my hair. Oh, well, you know, you should get compensation. And it's like, oh, maybe think about the fact your daughter was in a potential terrorist attack. <laughs> like, just like a throwaway line of dialogue of like, oh, there was a gas leak, you know? Yeah, exactly. Just to patch over that, like that little hole. And like, it's not necessarily a hole. It's just it's not specifically hole. watching it in retrospect. Uh, it's just something that stands out a little bit. Totally. It does. Uh, it does stand out for sure. Um, mm. But you also... At the same time, you get that like scene where they're after this, where they're sitting on the couch and they're watching the news story about the explosion, and that feels yeah. very modern, and that feels like a it very does. realistic take on what people would do in that situation is to sit yeah. down and 
watch the TV and watch the news about what's just unfolded. Watch, watch the telly. Watch the telly. Go on, man. Your bees on your beans on toast, Rose. <laughs> um, and in the in the aftermath of that uh, explosion, uh, we actually get one of my favourite parts of the episode, which is the just like that quick shot of the TARDIS. Mm. Um, the way that it's very slowly doling out these like bits of iconography, like you just you catch glimpses of yeah. what's to come. And if you weren't, um, if you had never seen the show before and you saw that shot, like you'd know it was significant, but you doesn't your understanding of the episode doesn't hinge on you knowing what that object is. It's like, yes. keep your eye on this. We're going to come back to it later. But like, it's setting up that mystery. So, so good. Mm. It's like, so good for people who know so what good. it is, they will like have a little thrill. For people who don't, it's like something else they can get to discover. It's great. It is. It, it, it serves newcomers and, and old fans so perfectly. And it's something that across this entire episode, they do quite well. Um, hence exactly. probably why it was so successful. <laughs> Ah, yes, well, it was so successful, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> we have that scene with Mickey in the apartment where he's like, oh, I'm just thinking about you. And she's like, there's a match on, isn't there? Exactly. And this is what I noted again. It ties out the stuff in the elevator. Like, again, it's just, it's Rose's deductive skills shown organically through dialogue. Yes, she, yeah, she... Um, like, she's quick. She's know? quick. She's quippy. Like, she, yes. like... It has such a charm about her um, and and knows the people around her intrinsically. Maybe we're reading exactly. a little bit too much into this, but because it, it, it is, I think it's just a, played off as a joke, but like... We are recording a podcast about Doctor Who. I think reading too much into it is kind of part of the package deal. Shit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we get uh, Jackie. Jackie. Wonderful, wonderful Jackie. I love Jackie. Is it the is it solely the remit of gay men to love Jackie? I don't know. I think it might be. Like I and this is something that like we will note about Rose maybe in the future, but the way that um Davies writes his women is mm. like it, we have no choice but to stan. Like he was stan culture before stan culture. <laughs> Yes, we'll uh, give that know, to him too. Let's give that to another. We uh, and we get that wonderful exchange with Jackie where it's like, she looked Greek. Uh, <laughs> she was Greek, but that doesn't matter. I know. Uh, it's, it's, I, yeah. That whole se- the whole discussion is so good. Like, it's like, I love, I love, love, love Jackie. But like that scene where she's, the, I think that's the line where she says, um, that shop's like, where Rose says, oh, you know, the butchers, I don't want to work there. And she's like, well, it'll do you good. That shop's giving you airs and graces. And immediately it sets up like that Rose has a higher opinion of herself, like in this class structure that they're both living in. And her mum yes. is aware of that too. Um, it's not so, well, it kind of is to comment it on because as we know, let's just like, you know, spoiler alert, Rose is the companion who's going to travel in time and space with the doctor. <laughs> um, so we know that she already like is bored of life on earth and that she's going to go on this adventure. But it sets up, mm. like, a potential class divide there in that line with her mum by already suggesting that she thinks higher of herself, um, is seeking yeah. more, and her mum is an obstacle, I guess, in a way, to that? Uh, slightly, I'd say. I mean, it's something that happens across um, across the show, really, is that I, I think that you call it a class divide, you call it an intellectual divide, whatever it is. Mm. You know, there's something about the companions that they do inherently believe themselves to be worthier of a, a grander life. Yeah. Uh, because you need that drive to step into that box, you know? 
you do need that drive. You need to mm-hmm. uh, be, I guess you kind of, if you're a companion, you need to be dissatisfied with your life, which is sad in a way. Um, it is sad in a way, but and this is one of my, my sort of bigger points about the episode, but we can we can get to it now. Yeah. Like it's, it's that grander point of, uh, it, it speaks to that deep fantasy of, what, what started as a childhood fantasy for adventure and now for most adults and millennials has become like a an adulthood longing for something more in your life. Something sure. more than just the, the capitalist grind or the, the, the beans on toast, watch the telly, go to bed lifestyle, you know? Um, and so I think there has to be, it's it's almost like an intrinsic ingredient in the show that these people need to have that drive and want for more i wouldn't call it a sad thing as such i would just say it's it's the human condition manifest in a companion every time true maybe i'm being too harsh it wouldn't be the first time (laughs) it certainly wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) but the other thing i love about Um, that is like jackie says that her daughter has like you know airs and graces but rose wore a hoodie to work (laughs) in the department that's it. That's it. Like, and it, it's it's varying degrees of what you consider to be hoity-toity or, yeah. or elitist or whatever, based on your current standing. You know. Yes. Exactly. Um, and I mean, also, like, I mean, let's not read too much into this, but also, let's. Um, <laughs> Jackie, like, Rose goes to work, and Jackie's just hanging out on the couch in her pajamas, watching television. Like, I, I don't get the impression that Jackie has a particularly like grand uh, idea for her life. No. And so to see her daughter reaching for more would probably trigger a certain kind of response. You know, you're so right. Yeah. Like, and that is such a common story as well. Of, for so many people is like parents seeing their children overachieve in. Or oh, outgrow them. Or right. outgrow them, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, oh. Rose has a bit of the aggressive development problem going on, you know? Like, she, she seems kind of like, not necessarily stuck in her pattern, but she has her very small loop of life. Hmm. Um, and that's why, you know, the doctor showing up is such a fantasy because it, it's something that like, I'm pretty sure everybody listening and you and I definitely share is that you kind of want an alien in a blue box to show up and say, let me show you more than this. Absolutely. It's a fantasy. It really is. It is. Um, but like it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's the perfect fantasy. It's the perfect. The fantasy. only way it could be more perfect is if he's fuckable. And that yeah. is something that the show tackles at some point. <laughs> oh, it does. It even tackles it here because let's talk about Chris Eccleston, like in this scene. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's publish. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, talk, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk about Christopher <laughs> Eccleston, a strange man in my bedroom. Uh, the way he says <laughs> when no. she's like, there's a strange man in my bedroom. And he goes, yes, there is. It's like so suggestive and so sexual. I, <laughs> it's too seductive. It's absolutely wonderful. And then anything could happen. <gasps> uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. I love it so it's, much. It, and it speaks so well to the, like, the perfect balance he has between relatable and alien. You know, like he, he understands yeah. enough about sexuality to you know, gather what's going on here, but yeah. not enough about human tact to let her down gently. Totally. And I think this is one thing that I I would criticise later episodes. I've got to stop doing this, but this is, I'm going to say it. Uh, this is one thing I criticise later episodes, especially in the uh, excesses of the Matt Smith era, is that you suddenly have a doctor who, like, is incompatible with human beings. Yes. And, like, the one thing that I appreciate so much about this character is that they are alien and they react in ways 
that are shocking to us, but they're still able to move within our world. He's still able, sorry, they are still able to move within our world. Um, as a, like, well, for all, uh, you know, they look as a human being, they you know, dress yeah, as a human being. Person. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. They're not um, like, like wearing a colander on their head and banging on about aliens. Like, you know, they're, he's, he's got <laughs> exactly. a shaved head. He's got a uh, cropped, like the leather jacket, uh, the dusty leather jacket. And he's, um, well, it doesn't look like a costume. He's, he's just dressed like a man. Yeah, exactly. He's just in human clothes. And so yeah. I like this scene because of the way that he just like, he, he fits into that space and yet is a part of it, a distance from it as well. Yes. And, and a lot of that does come down to Christopher Eccleston's performance. Um, he is all at once entirely present and empathetic and completely absent. Totally. Um, like that scene, very what do we get to with, um, with Rose and she's making the coffee and he's flipping through all the books and like, Oh, he's a gay, she, he's gay and she's an alien. Uh, and he's, yeah. Yeah, he's not even listening to her. No, no, he's really not. He's not. But that scene, um, and this is a good way to bring us back to the actual plot line of what's happening here. I love that scene of her making coffee and him just kind of like fucking around in the living room <laughs> because it's a really nice subtle way of doing a uh, post-regeneration exploration of who he is now without explicitly talking about regeneration. You know, yeah. you get him like cards and he tries to shuffle them and he can't. And he just kind of like smiles to himself like, oh, maybe not because he's still trying to figure out what he can and can't do in his new form. Mm. And that scene, he he looks in the mirror and he's like, oh, could have been worse, you know, look at the ears. Yeah. I mean, you don't, like, you could just, like, if you're a, a casual viewer, you could pass it off as like, oh, he's a bit weird and, you know, move on. Yeah, but for anyone, quirky. Yeah, exactly. But for anyone else who knows the history of the show, they're like, oh, shit, that's significant. Like, he's just regenerated. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it leads to one of my favourite jokes in the whole episode. Uh, give a man a plastic hand. <laughs> oh Absolutely God. genius. Uh, it, it speaks nicely to how relatable the Doctor can be and also, again, to Rose just been like, these people in my life. Exactly. Exactly. The Doctor is just another buffoon who's come into exactly. her orbit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say his comedy, like, acting with the hand, it's not my favourite. Oh, okay. I yeah. quite liked it. I, I thought it was. I thought it was charming. Oh, the the bug eyes and the tongue and like wah, wah, with the choking. It, it, it's bit, it's a bit plastic for me. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh. Ooh cutting, 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 cutting. Um, and this is like we when when we talked about doing this episode and we quickly discussed Rose. Um, I brought this up, and I know you very specifically rejected the idea. Um, but I think there are comparisons to be made between what Jodie Whittaker does and what Christopher Eccleston does with the Doctor in terms of their lack of humanity paired with a, like, goofiness. Fair. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely the goofiness aspect uh, would compare well. Um, mm. Jodie Whittaker, for what, somewhat the same reasons I was saying before, um, you know, she moves through the world in her very contemporary kind of clothes, sort of contemporary clothes, and the same thing yeah. happens with Chris Reckleston and David Tennant. Um, yeah, I can see that comparison. I don't like it, yeah. but I can see it. No, 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 no you don't like it. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is something that, like, uh, you, you said earlier about, you know, you wanted to stop 
sort of comparing it to future episodes or criticizing future episodes or whatever. Sorry, um, yeah. I, I do feel like it's important to establish that, you know, obviously we love Doctor Who, we love it enough to do a podcast about it, but that doesn't mean that we don't have uh, critical thoughts on on some choices that have been made. Like I touched on that with uh, sort of that early Moffat era stuff. Um, we don't want to just restrict ourselves to just exclusively focusing on like everything we love. Like we will occasionally dive yeah. into some more critical thoughts. Um, but, you know, uh, like we, we agreed with each other before we did this, that we wanted to keep it primarily positive. We don't want to do, we don't want to be like the snarky Doctor Who podcast. No. You know, nobody wants to listen to snark. And we wouldn't, we're not snarky about Doctor Who because we love it genuinely down to our core. Exactly, exactly. Even like, like <laughs> we've made fun of a lot of Doctor Who when we've just been talking sort of in our personal lives, but it always yeah. comes from a, a place of, I just love this show so much. Exactly. <laughs> And I think we have uh, license to do that because we do love it so much. Um, that's exactly it. You know, like, it's, it's not an ownership thing. We're not, we're not trying to sort of say that we know better or anything like that. It's just a, we're two people. We're going to have uh, thoughts on, on the choices that are being made with this. True. Uh, that's basically what it comes down to. Um, and my thoughts on, just, on this scene is the armless joke sucks. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, look. I'm glad I did that whole diatribe about positivity versus negativity <laughs> just so you can dunk on the arm joke. That's definitely what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, we get that really fantastic uh, sort of walk and talk montage. It's so uh, good, which isn't is it? super sweet, super fun. Um, it feels so... And, and this is something that comes up later in the episode as well, but it's it's just two people walking through London. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not flashy, it's not, not fancy, but it crackles. It does crackle. And it's not just two people walking through London. It's two people walking through a council estate. This is the world that Rose comes from. And they're like, they're walking through such an ordinary space. Um, you've got the garages around them. Like, there's nothing here that implies like a certain alienness in a way. No, no, definitely not. Which is why it's such a, a hard cut to when he takes her hand and he delivers his, I can feel at the turn of the earth falling through space speech. It's so good. You know, because it stops being a conversation between two people that you sort of assume to be human and becomes like, like it's, it's falling through space. Like the, the bottom falls out. You, you finally see the depth of this character. Um, and it's the first time that you glimpse him, not just as like the, the fun doctor, but also as the, I guess like the what PTSD traumatized doctor that we got with new who. Yeah. Well, I think there's better episodes that just like, where we can discuss that element. Um, but that- oh, of course. I'm just, I'm just saying in terms of like a, a first glimpse that there is more to this doctor than other doctors we've seen before is this kind of like uh, reverence for uh, very heady concepts and ideas um, yeah. and not in a, a cartoonish way, not in a dumbed down way. Like he just pedal to the metal kind of <laughs> jumps into a speech about, uh, about everything. And I think it's really lo- wonderful. So good, isn't it? It's such a good piece of writing. Um, mm. And yeah, this... I, I, I can't think critically about that speech because it just. Oh, that's it's it's such a, a guttural thing that uh, it's difficult to kind of pull it apart. But yeah, and then we get more of that slow introduction to the iconography. You know, we we see him sort of walk off and leave her, and then she turns away, and you hear the TARDIS. You don't see it mm. though. You um, hear and again, it. Yeah. It's just that. You know. I like how like it has picked up a fair bit of wind since it in this revival. Like every time yes, it, it takes it's off, so it's, dramatic. it's so dramatic and everything just like <laughs> blows around it. It's, it's a spaceship taking off. It's a spaceship taking off. Yeah. It's, it's, it, 
it's really it great. sells the environment that it's in. Um, but you think about like it the does. old show when it, it would just be like, it would just kind of be there. It would yeah. be like drop in, drop out. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, there's a good physicality to a lot of it, which is nice. Yeah. There's a couple of lines I want to go back to just briefly where they're, where they're talking. Um, there's the line where I think, and they both Rose and the doctor say this to each other, where they both say, you know, the entire world revolves around you. And it yes. comes back to that speech that he says, where he's like, I can feel the earth turning. But um, I, I just love that line where he's like, where she says to him, you know, so the, what you're saying is the entire world revolves around you. And he's like, sort of. And she's like, you're full of it. And he's like, sort of. It's fun. It's banter. It's like really flirty. But he does think the entire world revolves around him. I mean, he's also not wrong, though. <laughs> he's not wrong because he's got his fingers in all of time and space but which is something we actually get to in well sort of across the next couple of scenes is the doctor's role in humanity up until this point um Mm. which i think is a combination of some incredibly cheesy uh montage work and some really good uh writing so uh (laughs) the idea that rose just sits down at her computer and thinks to herself how can i find this guy i know what i'll do i'll google the word doctor so she finds this conspiracy theorist guy online who um, has this whole thing about the, the blue box conspiracy. Yeah. What do you think of Clive? Um, I think Clive is uh, a plot device. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the performance is fine. I think the script is mostly fine around him. There is that really wonderful line um, where he like yells up to his wife, like, Oh, she's here about the doctor. And the wife comes down yeah. the stairs and she, she reads the website about the doctor. She's a, she, I love that. And like, I think it's fairly obvious to anyone that Clive is a parody of doctor who fans. Exactly. And so when you get the, she's a, she line, it's, it's a very meta commentary a concept about finally sort of explicitly acknowledging that like the fan base is more than just dudes like Clive. Exactly. Um, I think Clive's a very sweet character. Um, and this is an intro uh, pilot episode. Obviously, the, the supporting characters aren't going to get too much development. Um, it doesn't make much of an impact, shall we say. Well, he's not, he's not a character, though. Like, he is, like, I joke about him being a plot device, but that is all he is. Like, he serves to connect her to the wider mystery of the Doctor mm. and then get shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. His, his, that's his entire arc right there. I will um, say there's one moment that like I had to go back and rewatch just to sort of think it through a little bit is the scene where, and again, this it speaks to like, you know, the context of the time and, and where we've come to since then. Um, but like Rose meets a random stranger on the internet, chats with him and then goes to his house. And the line where Mickey says, you know, he could be anything, he could be a murderer. I, I feel like we were just, it, that wouldn't fly these days. Wouldn't fly. Like meeting up with a random stranger on the internet, a, a young woman meeting up with a random, like 40, 45 year old man on the internet. Like the optics yeah. of that are uh, sus to say the least. Um, I mean, yes and no. Like we we're kind of in a time now, like with like things like Tinder or Grinder or whatever, like we are constantly meeting strangers from the internet. True. Maybe I'm just being paranoid, but I, uh, I think if, if Mickey weren't there and if he weren't saying the lines like, you know, he could be anything, he could be an axe-wielding murderer, well, I don't remember what the specific line is, but, like, yeah, yeah. that puts you into a certain frame of mind about what Clive could possibly be. I mean, we know he's not any of these things and he's a perfect human, 
uh, ordinary human being. Um, the other thing about that intro, that little bit, is uh, the neighbour that comes out with the wheelie bin and, like, stares Mickey down. Oh, the racial profiling? Ah, yeah. Isn't yeah. it? Like, <laughs> it's so, it's not mentioned or spoken of, but, like, Mickey's reaction and the guy, the way the guy just keeps staring at him, oh. It's, uh, yeah. It, look, uh, um, Doctor Who, New Who's relationship with race is basically a whole episode on, in and of itself um, yeah. that we don't have time to get into today. But we'll this get there once Mickey has a role. And... Exactly. This isn't a criticism, by the way. I mean, like, at that moment no, 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 definitely speaks not. to it's, it's just so much more. For sure, for yeah. sure. Um, we get that really wonderful scene in the shed, which, like, just a, a very small visual note before we move on. I like that the shed is the TARDIS blue. Mm. I like that you've got, like, that light coming in. Um, it, it feels very blue box, you know? Mm. It does. I didn't realise um, it was blue. I didn't put it together, the, the connection, until, like, see, last week. You've got me here, because I notice these things. Oh, you're so very good, aren't you? Yeah, it's a really wonderful sort of exploration of the Doctor being there throughout human history, um, and because he is present at these sort of major events, um, to us, it looks like death is his companion. Um, and I think having the the seed of, specifically those words, death is his constant companion. Yeah. Um, planting that in the first episode, again, it just restructures how we feel about the Doctor instead of being like a fun zany thing he is he's fun but with a dangerous edge now that's it i mean this i mean if we're going to be real all the revival really does is just draw attention to what was already there that this life is fun and it's dangerous and people die yeah, it is just the focus exactly um yeah i like i like a lot of like that scene with clive especially the mystery that like gets built up with when you see chris Rickerson in different moments in history and Rose's again, I, and Rose is filtering it through a very human reaction. She's like, Oh, it must be his father. It must be a relation. Like it's not, it couldn't possibly yeah. be him. Um, and then you, it's funny as well, because like, I like how, like as Clive, the more Clive speaks, the more like outlandish it seems. And Rose isn't buying it. Like she ends that scene and she's like, he's a nutter. Like he's not. Yeah. She, she rejects it. She rejects it. And she's totally practical about the whole situation. Like, it, it, she did. Oh, she's just so endearing. Um, I love it. That bin. Let's talk about the bin. Oh, let's talk about the fact that the bin burps. The bin that burps should have been the title. It should have been. Um, I will say when, when she first gets back in the car and you, you get the first shot of plastic Mickey, oh. I explicitly yelled, what the fuck, in an empty room. I'd completely forgotten this was in the episode. Totally. Uh, it is such a wild pizza Oh my moment. God. It's such a, it's like, do you remember that show Lazy Town? I do not. Uh, I think it was like a kid show, but like all of the characters in it were like, I think they had like prosthetic muscles and like jaws and stuff to on them to make them look like they looked fake. It's very, it's okay. It's a, it's a, just um, an uncanny Valley kind of situation. Um, yes. Where you're like, it's something it that looks I mean, human, but isn't something wrong. As a practical effect. I do think it looks quite good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think Mickey is a, a good looking thing. Also, I just want to say the, um, the bin, the bin that swallows Mickey is yes, the same. Really stuck on this bin. I'm just, no, I just, I'm stuck on the bin because like the bin that swallows Mickey, the guy came out, put it out, 
obviously for rubbish collection, and but there's nothing in the bin. Well, <laughs> like, that's Russell T Davies, but he's a hack. He's a hack. I just want to point it out because it is just so <laughs> it makes me laugh. Just like I, I get it, like it's a plot device. It's it, we're just moving the story on. Don't get hung up on these little details. I want to get hung up on the little details. We get a really wonderful scene in the restaurant where they're having lunch together. Um, and, you know, the doctor does his whole champagne cork to the forehead thing, which is, you know, it's neither here nor there. Like, it's funny. It's, it's, mm. It moves everything along. We get to a really wonderful moment where the, the headless Mickey with the spatula hands um, oh. is one of my favourite visuals. <laughs> it totally, yeah. But you get that shot... Um, with Mickey, where the doctor pulls Mickey's head off and then the head like opens the eyes and it's like, don't think that's going to stop me. Creepy. And then you don't, there's the couple behind them when the head speaks and it's not the woman that screams, it's the man. That's it. New who, you know, subverting gender expectations since 2005. Just want to point it out. (laughs) I'm very happy you did. Uh, Running out of the restaurant, all very go, 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 run, run, run. And then we get to one of the best introductions to the TARDIS we've ever seen. Um, yeah. The way that the Doctor says, you know, come on in here. He goes in. Rose is like, no, you're crazy. I'm not going in there. She's running around looking for somewhere else to hide. And then she runs in. But instead of shifting straight away into, you know, the inevitable moment, she backs out again. Mm. And then the chase begins again. Um, and it's such a great way of experiencing her disbelief and rejection of these concepts through the show itself. It is. Yeah. She's, she's, she's not yeah running head straight head first into this adventure. She's like really like going, putting it through its paces, dissecting it, like just yeah. making sure everything's fine. But this moment where she runs into the TARDIS is I think the first like undeniable proof of like something is wrong yes. here. Something that, is not it. like everything else you just sort of explain away, but you know, relative dimensions being fucked with, you can't. <laughs> and she sells it so perfectly. She yeah. really does. And the way the camera follows her back in the second time, as you know, she takes it in, as we are also taking it in. I love that shot of the crane, like the 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 big sweep of the white, like that takes in the whole scope of that beautiful TARDIS set. Mm. Um, but then. At, I keep thinking about like how many people would have been waiting for that moment to come and they want to like yes. see and explore and be in that room. But for this pilot, we don't, we're not, we're there for like, what, a minute? It's not very long. Yeah. Like a couple of minutes at most. It's, it's, it's a very sci-fi light episode. It is. And, and I mean, the and TARDIS is a big sci-fi concept. The, tar- so. the TARDIS in and of itself, which it's, it's such a good concept to, it's like the, I mean, this comparison is made a million times. It's like the, the, the wardrobe into Narnia. It's the gateway into something mm-hmm. else. Um, yeah. It, when the, the way that camera like focuses on those two characters in that scene, it doesn't allow us to view any greater detail. It's centering everything. All of our attention should be on the doctor and Rose. It should be on this relationship. Yeah. Forget about everything else. This is what you're, this is what is important. And it's, it's, yeah, it's great. A really wonderful exchange. Uh, that I enjoy when he just very matter of factly is like, right, where do you want to start? Um, mm. Just that quick exchange of dialogue between them. Uh, it's so, and it's an interesting contrast to the fact that later iterations of the doctor all get a kick out of the, it's bigger on the inside moment, but this doctor, because he's not used to warmed up to humanity again yet, he, he doesn't give a shit. Like it's all yeah. pedestrian to him. 
he's really not paying much attention he's uh, to Rose or to Rose's situation because you get that line after when they get out the TARDIS and he's like, oh, I was so close to getting, because the hedge that they were using to trace the Nestine consciousness melted. Um, he's like, you know, we were so close to getting there. And then Rose is like, not even thinking about that. She's just like, I, I have to tell his mother. And he's like, what? Yes. I have to tell yeah. Mickey, like, Mickey, he's dead and you forgot him. They're mm. on, they are on two different planets. And this, this whole episode is them struggling to get on each other's wavelength the way that she calls him out for being so callous is Mm. it's it's wonderful because um again we don't want to get too too into the weeds on this but it's something that we've noted with um sort of the more recent run of episodes is that there is a lack of uh tension between the companions and the doctor like there isn't much of a, a dramatic uh, difference between the two of them and so to start episode one of new who straight away with a companion calling out the doctor for something is such a refreshing change um, totally. because, because it is something that the, the character of the doctor needs to be called out on pretty frequently this aspect in particular yeah like their callousness towards human life um but the show has never ever questioned these things before like uh, no that's it i state that enough like it, this is like the first time the show was like saying to its audience you know you should be thinking about everything that underlies this concept that people die that the doctor isn't human and what that's what the reality of that situation is going to be um it's it gets a bit hammy for my liking in future episodes and i guess that's just because you're you're going over the same argument again and it's hard to find a fresh way of discussing that but this for for my money this first episode is the best it's interesting. It's like from memory of what's to come, I don't think it's ever like the the push and pull between a companion and the doctor for me is never as good. Like you've got Rose and you've got Clara as sort of opposite ends of the way that this dynamic can work. Mm. Uh, whereas Clara compliments the doctor and that leads to their own kind of drama. And Rose and this doctor are very much not complimentary and that leads to their drama. Yeah. Um, and things get a bit muddled in the middle there. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> it's a very simple way of putting it, but yeah, like you can, you could make that argument for sure. Yeah. Um, um, you know, then the reveal of like the, uh, was the eye, <laughs> the London eye, the London eye. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 I imagine they probably got a tax break for it. Like <laughs> It's, um, well, it, no, it's it, London. It's London, for sure. And I. this is the first of, of a run of episodes where there's a major London man, landmark and something alien is underneath it. Like, yeah. I like it. I like it because it situates... Like, it's something that kids can go out into the world and they can see that landmark and be like... And associate it with Doctor Who. And they. it's putting, it's yeah. putting this alien world into our world um, mm-hmm. and letting your imagination run with that. Um, Very much so. What do you think of antiplastic? Antiplastic is that the the black serum? Yeah, he like he's like she very says. What are we going to do to defeat it? And he's like antiplastic. Like obviously antiplastic, you idiot. <laughs> uh, look, it's the same as any gold, like Doctor Who timey wimey wibbly wobbly sciencey crap. You know, it's it, it's nothing. <laughs> it's fluff. It's a plot device. It's a plot device. It just makes me laugh. A lot of I, like, there's so many shortcuts in this episode, which I, I guess if we were more meaner people, we would like sit and decide, dissect. No, it's just, just about the way that you interpret or the way that you engage with media. Like yeah. I'm not coming to Doctor Who for a scientifically airtight explanation of everything that happens. You know. True. 
What do you think? I think uh, that one iconic line that probably came out of this episode is when Rose says, um, "If you're an alien, how come you sound from? How come you sound like from the north?" And he's like, "Lots of planets in the north." Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that that's the kind of example of humor that I don't particularly vibe with in Doctor Who. Like I don't like the more like wink at the camera, tongue in cheek stuff. Um, But I understand it's iconic. So I love that line. Yeah, that's fine. I like the plastic hand jokes. You like the northern jokes. It's (laughs) just speaks to how different. (laughs) Ooh, I do love those northern jokes. All one of them. (laughs) All northern jokes. so, you know, then we get that fun little, like, chase, se- like, running sequence where they're running across the bridge mm. and, like, it, it's so, it's just fun. It's just pure fun. Like, they're holding hands for some reason. She's got this massive dumb grin on his face, uh, on both of their faces, Never actually. Yeah. It, it's it's silly. It's cheesy. The London buses that go it. past in the background. Oh, I know. It's so beautifully done. <laughs> um I like the line um, where the, uh, I think Chris Ruckelson says, you know, everything's about to activate. It's all about, you know, to start and, you know, the dummies and the like plastic, whatever. And Rose like goes the breast implants. That in and of itself is a line that I don't think Doctor Who does a lot of anymore. Like this first season in particular, like is feels like weirdly adult in some of the jokes that it makes and super childish as well. Like we're going to get to yeah. that it's sort of discovering its middle ground still so you have these like references to very not adult per se concepts but like something that a child is not going to come into contact Ooh, with it's sexuality in doctor who finally sexuality you know, i described the old stuff as sexless this is not <laughs> no. yeah, that's actually a much better way than my rambling putting it <laughs> And then we've got this, like, I think the real meat of the episode happens once they're under the London eye and we get that fantastic sort of exploration of, um, you know, even though this is quite a darker doctor, he has that really great line of, you know, I've got to give it a chance. Um, Like his sympathies for alien races, I I think is is always a really wonderful thing to see. And I guess we'll see like the the negative side of that or the flaw in that um, kind of, way of in- that interaction because like the doctor gives it a chance but ultimately you lets it die well i don't think he lets it die like rose kills it like it's rose's actions that lead to the dropping of the anti-plastic into the into the uh, the consciousness um which is strange because it feels like if a new companion did that there would be a conversation about maybe you know you didn't have the right to do that yes um this doctor, because he is so disconnected from the concepts of death, he just kind of blinks and moves on. Yeah, he's battle-worn um, and death. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, which is really interesting. We get some fantastic stuff with, once the plastic realises what the doctor is and it sees the TARDIS, like, that they're viscerally afraid of a Time Lord. Um, I, I think is a really wonderful bit of world building, the idea yeah. that at this point in the timeline for the galaxy, like, the Time Lords are associated with war crimes as opposed to saviors or mythical figures you know totally and the doctor his um battle scars from that time i think it's best encapsulated in that line where he says i couldn't save your world i couldn't save any of them like he's still and we'll get to this in later episodes i feel like that's going to be a running theme um but he's still (laughs) he's um you know grieving over not just what happened with what we'll later find out his own people but um the wider ramifications of that action yeah, um, absolutely. Talking, yeah. absolutely. I like um, the line where he says um, the nestings, because he's talking about the TARDIS, and he's like, they're scared of the TARDIS. It's identified its superior technology. Feels like a dig? I don't know. 
<laughs> uh, look, I mean, I'm okay with a bit of a, a sassy doctor. That's fine. <laughs> True. Look, then, you know, we get that really fantastic sort of uh, 28 days later set piece in the streets with Jackie and the random fires everywhere <laughs> for some reason. I love her. Um, it looks a million dollars. Like it, it, it feels like the scale for Doctor Who has been nicely upped. Uh, it, it's just a really wonderful sequence. It does. The Autons smash through the window. Um, you get that. Until five, of course. I like listeners. I know we're running out of time here. We won't keep you for too much longer. But it is important to note: Clive gets shot. <laughs> Clive gets shot. <laughs> he just gets straight out. Out of his wife and children. <laughs> <laughs> like let's. Let's not dwell on this, but yeah, yeah, that's 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 grim. That's grim. It is. It is grim. Um, we get Rose's hero moment. Obviously, you know, I've got no A levels, no job, no future. <laughs> she she swings on the chain. It, it's fun. It's pulpy. It's yeah. it's finally her fully engaging with the situation. True. And again, the Doctor would be dead if it wasn't for her. And this is going to be a running theme for this episode. Chris Rappleson's Doctor doesn't save the day a lot. He needs the help of people around him. He needs specifically humanity. He needs humanity. He needs humans. Um, yeah. and it's, uh, Rose Rose gets to save the day. It's great. Yes. It's wonderful. Like, Rose is our main character, so she saves the day. It, it fits. It's nice. It's good. Exactly. It feels good. They escape the base, the nesting consciousness, uh, which is just a big lump of goo. Um, just a big lump of stinky eye lava. <laughs> I, I was, oh, I'm sorry. I know we're running out of time, but I really just want to say, because you'll love this, James. The nesting consciousness, in as it's originally conceived of, was like a Lovecraftian tentacled thing with a magnificent big eyeball. It's just like a horrific. It was a horrific alien. Really? Yeah. Um, I think they explain it in its form is that it's mutated in this episode into this like shapeless blob. But like, go back and listeners, you too, you go back and uh, there's a, a a Target book. Uh, adaptation of Terror of the Autons, which is an episode from 1971, and it has this like Lovecraftian, disgusting like illustration of the nesting on the front. Stuff of nightmares. There is one thing I want to note before we get to that last scene because that, that's going to pretty much bring us home. Um, the there's a throwaway line about, of course, the Autons like Earth because of all like the toxins and pollutions and everything, mm. and you get that commentary on our current social situation without orphan 55ing it <laughs> wow um yes you do. <laughs> well there's uh, a few, I, I think it's there's I, a few instances of that there's the line in when they're uh, they're walking through the council estate and he says you lot all you do is eat chips go to bed and watch telly while there's a war going on underneath you i mean yeah. that yes, is very specifically western uh criticisms absolutely especially given where we're at with the war on terror at this point in the timeline of reality. <laughs> it's it's interesting. <laughs> I did just describe our reality as a, having a timeline. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on this timeline, but there's another even worse timeline <laughs> out there. Um, so the final scene. What I like so much about it is that one Christopher Eccleston's performance when he offers for her to come with him is a perfectly balanced bit of trying to be casual, but accidentally mm. imbuing it with so much loneliness. I have that line where she says, you'd be dead if it wasn't for me. And another doctor might've been like, oh no, you know, I can do it myself. But he just goes, yes, I would. Thank you. Yes. It's I, so like, see, I don't see Peter saying thank you. you know? No, no, exactly. It would be all hidden under these layers of like, you know, machismo and bravado. But here, 
I'm going to just give myself 30 seconds to maybe take a, a slight detour here. But in, is it Flatline? Yes. Yes. So in Flatline, Clara does save the day. And then when she asks him to thank her at the end, he physically just, he can't do it. Yeah. Like he can't bring himself to uh, give up that degree of power or whatever it is. And so it's just interesting that we start with uh, essentially a much more broken version of the Doctor who is who has that ability to be humble. It's just nice. It's it's good in this ending scene because, you know, Mickey embodies the sort of the... Uh, this is where we get into a bit of a tricky uh, area with the language, but like the more like sort of feminine trope of the um, the the wounded, the the to be rescued, uh, yeah. the one that says no, don't go, don't go on the adventure. Like he's literally cowering on the ground, you know. It's like it's thick and it's laid on, but like yeah, that isn't lost on me. What? That's... Yeah, it's it's an interesting gender flip. Yeah, and then we get that really like my my note here just said Rose is savage because we get that that exchange of Mickey saying or her saying thank you. He's like for what? She's like exactly. <laughs> Isn't it cutting? Oh my god, it's so brutal. And this action she takes is so reckless, and we'll see the fallout of like. That's this. it. We get it immediately in the next episode, basically, um, which is which is very interesting. Yeah, she's, and I think that's one of the things we like like uh, her virtues of. And why people love Rose so much is because she is so impulsive and just does mm. what she wants and what she what feels good in the moment. Um, yes, yes, but, very much so. Um, we'll see. We'll see the ramifications of her decision here uh, play out later. I love the line where they're in the base and Rose says, "It's the end of the world," and I was like, "No, that's next week, Rose." <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> well <laughs> on that note that brings us to the end of rose uh that was maybe slightly more extensive than we thought it would be <laughs> but think, there was yeah. a lot to say there was such a lot, a lot of firsts in this episode it's such a lot of firsts and let's let's be honest like after watching this episode i'm keen to see what comes next like and that's the other thing about doctor who and like doctor who that sets it apart from other any other television shows because like that first episode it's not setting up arcs it's not setting up um greater mystery it's really just like setting up the adventures of two people you think about modern tv now and like their first episodes are packed with stuff but this is so economic ensemble cut yeah exactly that's the other thing as well like you've got this huge plethora of cast and characters which we're now burdened with in the new series but i'm not going to go into that um and used is um a choice (laughs) It says it says exactly what I need to, to say, um, but yeah, you've only got these t- just two characters who go through the entire show. Um, it's yeah, I can't overstate enough how economic the storytelling in this episode is. I think I've used that Absolutely. word like five times. Um, That's right. I think I've used wonderful like twenty times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as uh, w- you know, we're, we're obviously going to be messing around with the structure of the show a little bit. Uh, if if we get more listeners who have input or advice on anything, we're obviously more than happy to take it. Um, we have social media that you can hit us up on. We'll put it in the show notes um, so that you can send us questions or your thoughts and feelings on the episodes that we're watching. We would love to read them out. But before we go, mm. I think it's good to establish, we're going to steal this from the AV Club, who if you're not reading the AV Club reviews huh. of Doctor Who episodes, you are absolutely missing out. They're great. Um, we're going um, to give each episode a, a rating, uh, a grade, if you will. Yes. It's hard to give anything, in my mind, it's hard to give anything a, a grading. 
Um, this is why I'd never be a teacher. Um, <laughs> but I think if uh, if you push me against the wall and said, "You give this a grade, or, or I'll shoot you," give it a, <laughs> a, a like a solid B. It's it's not trying too hard. It's not dazzling me. It's it's but it is intriguing me, and it's a rollicking good adventure. Um, it's it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah it's a solid B. Okay. Okay. I will give it a a B plus, I reckon. I think this is borderline fantastic. Uh, just, I really have more of a justification than I guess like the past two hours of conversation that you've listened to. Um, but I, I think a B plus nicely sums it up. Yeah. For Two Hearts Podcast, I've been James. And I'm CJ. Uh, and you can join us next week for The End of the World, which we are very excited to talk about. Ooh, so excited. Um, much to come. Trip of a lifetime. You know what I'm saying? This has been the trip of a lifetime. And it's only just getting started. Can you believe it? It's just getting started. We've got so much yet to talk about. <laughs> so much to talk about. Uh, we obviously don't know how to close out a show yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> follow us. Follow us. Our, our handle is uh, Two Hearts Pod, but not to the word. It's the number two. Do you get me? the number because we're all about economical writing here at Two Hearts. Oh, you fucker. Okay. Follow us at Two Hearts Pod. Uh, through that, you can also find our personal handles. I am at James. if you want to see me tweet about Star Wars and Clara. Uh, and I'm at McLean underscore because CJ McLean is taken. Well, thank you for joining <laughs> us. Uh, we will see you guys next week.